Well, hello there, folks. Welcome back. This is the On Being Christian podcast. This is actually podcast number 48. If I am not mistaken, podcast number 48. The On Being Christian podcast is a ministry of the Wasatch Front Baptist Church here in Salt Lake City, Utah. You can get a hold of us at wasatchfrontbaptistchurch.com. Wasatch is spelled W-A-S-A-T-C-H, and then front baptistchurch.com. Wasatch is the mountain range that runs along the Salt Lake Valley. My name is Nolan Ruby. I'll be your host. I'm also the pastor of the Wasatch Front Baptist Church. You can get a hold of us at that website, um, either by directly emailing me under the drop-down menu or just um, giving me a call here to the number at the office. I try to get as, try to get back to as many of those um, contacts and, and um, questions as I can. It's a beautiful day here in Salt Lake City. I've learned here, I've uh, been in Salt Lake City now for about four years, and I've learned that um, it's just kind of its own thing, its own ecosystem, its own weather pattern. Uh, you can have snow, and then you can have rain, and then you can have warmth, and then some wind, and then it finishes off with snow within the same 24-hour period. It just kind of does its own thing. And we're having one of those days where it's just kind of uh, temperamental, it would seem. Anyway, I'd like to talk to you today. Uh, this is the message I'm going to, or, or the thought that I'm going to bring to you from the Word of God. This is actually something I put together, or something the Lord showed me, and I started to study it um, almost 15 years ago now. The first time that I put it into like a presentation form was back in October of 2012. Since that time, it's taken on some different thoughts, and um, I have preached it a couple times um, and are always, Lord always seems to show me something uh, new and something that I may have missed the first couple times, but it, the title of this is Worthless to Worthy, which is a an, a an acknowledgement of what the Lord liked to do or what the Lord what the Lord would like to do for each of us as individuals, to be able to take us from where he begins with us and bring us to a place that meets his needs and fulfills his calling on our lives benefits his name more than our name. That's the the value of being Christian is one who understands that it's the Lord's name that their life should be a proponent of above even their own name. But this takes a form in the life of Paul that is very different. It shows us how drastically the Lord being involved in your life or how drastically The Lord can change your life when you as an individual give complete ownership of your decisions, your life, the outcome of your agendas. When you give it over to the Lord, he can completely and 100% change the direction, change the course for the better, for his glory, for his purposes. And so the thought of this is worthless to worthy. And I don't do this a lot, but I actually have two different texts Um, that I'd like to show you because both of these texts are talking about the same man, but in vastly um, or from vastly different perspectives. So if I start in 1 Timothy chapter 1 and I read 14 through 16, the Bible says, and the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. This is therefore, or excuse me, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Howbeit, for this cause I obtained mercy that in me uh, first 
Jesus Christ might show forth all long suffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. The part I'd like your, to draw your attention to is that phrase where Paul refers to himself as the chiefest of sinners. He says it is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. The very chief. That word chief there means foremost or foremost in place and order of importance. Before all else, there is this, this first, this chief thing. So Paul's referring to himself in 1 Timothy chapter 1 as the foremost sinner. Or before all else, he is the chief sinner. But then over in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, and I'll read 3 through 7, the Bible says, But I fear lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtility, so your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For if he that cometh preacheth another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or if we receive another spirit which ye have not received, or another gospel which ye have not accepted, ye might well bear with him. For I suppose I was not a whit behind the very chiefest apostles. But though I be rude in speech, yet not in knowledge, but ye have been thoroughly made manifest, truly made manifest among you in all things. Here he begins a different kind of course of conversation, but in the middle of it you see that phrase that he makes. Concerning himself, he says that he's not a whit behind the very chiefest apostle. So Paul, who wrote the book to 1 Timothy as well as, or the letter to 1 Timothy, as well as the letter to the church at Corinth, both of these references, both written by the same man, one, he says, I am the very chiefest of sinners. I'm the foremost sinner. And the other one, he says, I'm not a whit behind the very chiefest apostle. Now, you can understand just from the very from from the from the word go here, these two things that he's referring to himself as are 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 the vast vastly different perspectives. They're, they're, one cannot get further away from the other, and he says he's both. The chiefest that's the word he uses in Second Corinthians, not a whit behind the very chiefest apostle. It means exceeding great, of much importance. In fact. If we stay in 2 Corinthians and we go just over a chapter to chapter 12, we see Paul combine both of these ideas about himself. Um, 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 11, the Bible says here, I am become a fool in glorying, ye have compelled me, for I ought to have been commanded of you, for in nothing am I behind the very chiefest apostle, though I be nothing. And so he says, I'm, I'm, I'm not a whit behind the very chiefest apostle, and nothing am I behind the very chiefest of apostles, but I am, in fact, nothing. In fact, he goes on in 1 Timothy to say he's the chiefest of sinners. He's, he can't get any further away. These, these vast dichotomies, these differences in caricature is what Paul is referencing. Uh, they're both about himself. And um, this, this idea that came to me, the, the message that I'd like to share with you from the Bible is when Jesus Christ saves your soul, when you become a Christian in accordance with the doctrine of the Word of God, it's only by the hand of God and by the grace of God 
that God can take your life and make you something entirely different. The Bible says old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. That's directly referencing the person who has accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior. Too many times in our culture, uh, as is the subject matter of this podcast, Christianity has become something that we define and we failed to understand and to accept that Christianity is not humanly defined. It is divinely defined. It is the the walking after Christ, the obedience to the doctrine of the Word of God. It can't be something that I make it up to be. It must be and only can ever be what the Bible says it is. And, and Paul says, here's what I once was. I am still, in his own mind, considers himself to be the chiefest of sinners. He's nothing. But by the grace of God, he can boldly say, I'm not a wit behind the very chiefest apostle, which is a far cry from being the chiefest of sinners. How can one man have such a vastly different opinion of himself? We see Paul combine them in 2 Corinthians when he talks about the, the, the two dichotomies within the same sentence. All right. So I only have two points that I'd like to look at. And the first one is the life he was saved from. So when Paul makes the statement, I am not a wit behind the very chiefest of sinners. He says, I'm, I'm the chiefest sinner. I'm, I'm, I'm the foremost sinner. Sometimes that can be heard and then put into the category of um, like a conciliatory humility. But I don't think that that's... I don't think Paul thought that. I don't think he was being conciliatory or falsely humble. I think that he honestly believed that in the world of men, there were very few people, if any, who had degraded the name of the Lord more than, than Paul. At that point in his life, his name wasn't Paul. His name was Saul. Um, so we, fee- we see in 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 15, he says, Sinners I am chief. He's the chief of sinners, is what he refers to himself as. If we jump over to Acts chapter 7, I want to look at the life he, talking about Paul, the life he was saved from. In Acts chapter 7, I'll pick it up in verse 51 and read down through verse 60, and we'll see what kind of life um, Paul, who at this point was Saul, was living um, in Acts chapter 7, 51 is where we'll start. He says, "Ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, ye do always resist the Holy Ghost as your fathers did, so do ye. Which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted, and they have slain them, which showed before of the coming of the just one, of whom ye have been now the betrayers and murderers who have received the law by the dispensation me disp- dispensation of angels and have not kept it. Verse 54 says, when they heard these things, they were cut to their heart and they gnashed on him with their teeth. But he being full of the Holy Ghost looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God. Now, if you're not familiar with where we are in the Bible, this is the story of a man named Stephen. He is preaching to people Um, the life of Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ is Emmanuel, God with us, and that righteousness is by faith in Jesus Christ, not by works, okay? Verse 56 of of Acts chapter 7, 
And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord and cast him out of the city and stoned him. So a mob here is stoning Stephen. And the witness laid down their cloths at a young man's feet whose name was Saul And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep, which means that he died. And so you see Samuel, or not Samuel, excuse me, you see Stephen here preaching the word of God, faith by repentance in Jesus Christ, righteousness by the blood of Jesus Christ, uh, the passing away of the Old Testament, the institution of the New Testament through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And the world is not responding very good to it. The, wor- the world is not responding very um, kindly to it. And um, for this particular instance, when he says these things, the crowd descends upon him and they run him out of the city and they stone him and they killed him. The part I want you to understand, you say, what does that have to do with, with Paul? Well, at this point... In existence, Paul's name was actually Saul. And it says, they stoned Stephen in verse 39 and, and saying, excuse me, um, uh, back up verse 58, and they cast him out of the city and stoned him. The witness and the witnesses, these are the people that were experiencing or, or taking part in this mob act. The witnesses laid down their cloths at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. You're going to find there, biblically speaking, this is uh, at this point in his life before his salvation, Saul was the man who brought the um, jurisdictional authority to the event of the stoning of Stephen. He says they laid down their cloths. This is a term, uh, a lot of times in today's culture, you see this in Scottish culture where you have um, certain cloths that represent or certain patterns that represent uh, a family's heritage or a family's name. Um, You see this in the cloths that they wear. Similarly, in this instance, the people who were stoning Stephen were laying down um, monikers of their name. They were, it's kind of like putting their signature down saying, I was a part of this. I holding to the Jewish religion, uh, stoned this man for blasphemy, and we killed him. And And the person that they were giving those cloths to, the person that they were, in essence, signing their name to, the person who was overseeing this in a formal capacity, was Saul, the stoning and killing of a preacher, which might lead one to understand that when he made the comment about himself that he was the chiefest of sinners, he meant every word of it. If I go over to one chapter, to Acts chapter 8, 1 through 3, we see further action that Saul takes. It says in verse 1, And Saul was consenting unto his death. And at that time there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. And so here you have a, a story. He says, listen, uh, Saul wasn't quite done yet. After the stoning of Stephen, Saul 
who was consenting to the death of Stephen, the Bible says he made havoc of the church. There was a great persecution of the church. Look what it says. Uh, Devout men carried Stephen, verse 3, and Saul made havoc of the church, entering into every uh, house, hailing men and women and committing them to, to prison. Havoc is a word that means the the, uh, it's it's the soul or the it's um it's to maltreat f- with extreme prejudice havoc if i go over one more chapter acts chapter 9 1 through 2 the bible says here in saul yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the lord went unto the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus, to synagogues, that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. And so here you have Paul uh, seeking jurisdictional authority to go outside the bounds of his um, uh, jurisdiction, if you will, because he's hunting Christians. He's making havoc, extremely prejudicial to Christianity. The Bible says in chapter 9, verse 1, he was breathing out threatenings and slaughter. The word threatenings here is, it's a menace. It's a word for menace to express or to show determination to inflict great punishment, to manifest the probability of future evil and danger against a people. And then the word slaughter means, very simply, murder. And so who is Saul, who became Paul, who went on to write over half of the New Testament that we have canonized within the Holy Bible today? This is the Paul we're talking about. Who was he before he became Paul? He was a man named Saul. And Saul hunted Christians was consenting to the death of a preacher named Stephen, was seeking jurisdictional authority to go into lands beyond his reach, and wherever he would find Christians, whether they were men or women or children, he could hail them away and place them into prison, or in some conditions, the Bible says he was breathing out slaughter. He murdered them. He murdered them. And so when Saul makes the comment that he is the very chiefest of sinners, I don't know that he's um, expressing any sort of sense of false humility there. I believe that he very much understands as one who hunted Christians, as one who was seeking and hunting and imprisoning and murdering those who followed Jesus Christ, he very much believed that amongst the sinners that walked the earth, there were few, if any, that were more extensively sinful than him. That was the mindset that he walked through life with. If you go to Galatians chapter 1, 13 through 14, the Bible says, For ye have heard of my conversation in time past in the Druze religion, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it. And profited in the Jews' religion above mine, or excuse me, above many mine equals in mine own nation, being more exceedingly zealous of the tradition of my fathers. He said, "You heard. You, this is all the way. He's now this letter. This is to the 
churches in the region of Gaul, the Galatians. It's not one church, it's many churches in a region. It's the only Pauline letter written to a group or a region, and the different churches there are not just one church at a specific place. He says, you all know, you've heard, by testimony and reputation, you have heard who I was. You've heard how I, I, I profited in the Jews' religion above many mine equals. He says, I was very advanced within the Jewish religion. I had begun to be profited personally by the religion, says, being more exceedingly zealous of the tradition of my fathers. He says, you've heard of the conversation in time past. He says, uh, beyond measure, I persecuted the church of God and I wasted it. This is Paul's reference to his own life, his own actions. He says, you've all heard about it. It's no secret. I hunted Christians. I killed them. I put them in prison. I profited from the Jewish cultural religion that did such things. I hunted them. I I." I had jurisdictional power given to me by the authority at the time to chase them. Wherever I found them, I arrested them. This is what Paul, who was at this point in his life, Saul, was doing. And so later on, when he became the great apostle Paul, when he made the comment, I am nothing, and I am not a whit behind the very chiefest of sinners. I am the chiefest sinner, in fact. Folks, I believe very much that he understood it to be true. I don't believe that he was making something up. If I go to Philippians chapter 3, Philippians chapter 3 and verse 6, look what the Bible says here. He says, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless, talking about himself, Paul goes on and gives a dichotomy or just a little bit of a history of his own education. And he says, I persecuted the church. He says that in Philippians. He says that in Galatians, he, in his own testimony, talks about breathing out threatenings and slaughterings and imprisonings and murder. This is who Saul was to the church of God. Notice how the life of Paul, who was at this point Saul, was saved. He was saved from, uh, he defines what he was saved from as a worthless existence, but to the world, the things that Paul was doing were defined as very, very successful to the world, to the religious um, sect of Jews at that time. Paul's life was very valuable. It was very worthy because of his persecution of the church of God. Sometimes I think some we, we, we get things crossed around a little bit in our minds, folks. We look for affirmation and, and, and pride from the wrong places. When we look for affirmation and the phrase, a job well done, to be given to us from people who hate the Lord, don't obey the doctrine of the Word of God, are, are just almost combatively um, devoted to their own purposes— when those types of people look at us and say, hey, you're, you're impressive, good job, that's probably not a good thing. Paul understood that later in his life. He said, I was a hunter of Christians, a persecutor. I was breathing out threatenings and slaughterings. I was a murderer, and the world loved me for it. The world loved me for it, and for this reason, I am the chiefest of sinners. In fact, you see this after he gets saved when he 
uh, is told by God to go to a place, and when he gets there, the men that he was told to go see wanted nothing to do with him. Absolutely nothing. If we go back all the way to his testimony, which can be found in Acts chapter 9, um, he gets saved on the road to Damascus. And for time's sake, I won't walk you through all of that. Verse 10, and there were, it was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and to him said the Lord in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Behold, I am here, Lord. And the Lord said unto him, Arise, and go into the street which is called Straight, and inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarshish, for behold, he prayeth, and he hath seen a vision, a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard by many of this man how much evil he hath done to thy saints at Jerusalem. And here he hath authority from the chief priest to bind all that call on thy name. But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. <laughs> God told this man, hey, go get this guy and bring him back. Told Ananias, Ananias, go get Saul and bring him back and uh, I'm going to use him. And Ananias, to paraphrase, said, Lord, are you serious? Do you know who that man is? Do you know how many people he's killed? Do you understand that I have heard rumors that he is coming this way with authority to arrest and imprison Christians? And you're telling me my natural inclination would be to run and hide from him, and you're telling me to go find him. Lord, do you know what you're doing? And the Lord said, do it. And Ananias did, praise the Lord. But I want you to understand, who Saul was was not a secret. The world knew who he was. The authorities of the time who used him knew who he was. And the church of God that was trying to serve him and running from Saul knew exactly who he was. And this is all the references in which Saul makes the comment, I can't be anything but the very chiefest of sinners, though I am not a whip behind the chiefest apostle. And so we understand from the Bible how, how God allowed this to be recorded, how Saul or Paul now very well believed that he is the chiefest of sinners. You and I can understand that. The Bible doesn't record anyone else hunting and killing Christians and then becoming a missionary. This is almost exclusively the, the background of Saul. So that's the life that he was saved from. Now let's look at the life he was saved to. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 5, in chapter 12, verse 11, you see that he refers to himself as not a whit behind the very chiefest apostles. Though he be nothing, he still says, I am not a whit behind the very chiefest apostle. That word chiefest there means exceedingly great and much. If we go to Acts chapter 9, 3 through 6, the Bible says, and he journeyed as he journeyed. This is the event I'm about to read to you. This is the event that changed Saul to Paul, that changed Saul, who would be Paul, from worthless to worthy. 
Verse 3, and he journeyed and came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. This is the salvation of Paul. Now, one of the things, I've been in this region of the world near Damascus, and when I see that phrase, there fell from the earth and, and heard a voice, a light. He says, suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. We already know Um, that this is about later on when he gives the testimony, he says this was about the middle of the day. So about the middle of the day, noon, a light from heaven shining down around him. My first thought as someone who's been all over the Middle East is, you're telling me that there was a light coming down from heaven in the middle of the day in the desert area of the Middle East, the Damascus Road. And it was, according to this scripture, brighter than the sun because it knocked Paul, who at this point in his life was Saul, down to his feet. And I want you to notice the reaction. Saul, verse 4, you have the this, this light, says, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Verse 5, he said, who art thou, Lord? He's, now, remember, Saul's religious. He's not a Christian, but he's very religious. He knows, he believes in God, he believes in all these things. He just um, absolutely despises Jesus Christ. And he says, who art thou, Lord? And the light from heaven that knocked Saul down responded and said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. Now immediately... Saul has a problem. Saul thought he was doing all of this in the name of God. And then God in the form of Emmanuel, God with us, Jesus Christ, shines a light down above the brightness of the sun and stills Paul so thoroughly that he asks him, who are you? And he says, I'm Jesus. I am the one you're persecuting. And immediately... Look what Saul said. He was, he, the Bible says in verse 6 of uh, Acts chapter 9, he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what wilt thou have me do? There's his salvation right there. Trembling means to be in, a, in dread, to be terrified, and astonished means to be stupefied, astounded, amazed. He was trembling. He was astonished. He was amazed all of his life had been shown to him right at that moment to be an absolute lie. And instead of defending the lie and becoming defensive over his religion, he said something to Jesus Christ that he had never said before. What what was it? If you look at the verse, it says that he said, Lord. He acknowledged the divinity of, of Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God. He acknowledged the divinity of Christ. And then he said, what wilt thou have me do? Folks, that's salvation right there. 
to confess Jesus Christ as Lord and and then repent. Lord, what will you have me do? I'll do whatever you tell me to do. This is the salvation of the Apostle Paul. If I jump over to Acts chapter 11, 25 through 30, we're talking about the events in his life that made him worthy. Acts, or yes, Acts chapter 11, verse 25 down through verse 30, the Bible says here, Then departed Barnabas to Tarsus for to seek Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch, and it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people, and the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. This is the On Being Christian podcast. The lineage of the name Christian goes all the way back to the church that was at Antioch, which was where Saul, who became Paul later, learned how to be a Christian. What a title, what a name, what a what a legacy. If I keep reading, verse 27 and in these days, excuse me, and in these days came prophets from Jerusalem unto Antioch, and there stood up one of them named Agabus, and signified by the Spirit that there should be great dearth throughout all the world, which came to pass in the days of Claudius Caesar. Then the disciples, every man, according to his ability, determined to send relief unto the brethren which dwelt in Judah, which also they did, and sent it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. So we see here in Acts chapter 11, Barnabas goes out, he finds Saul, they assemble themselves with the church and taught much people. They were called Christians first at Antioch. This is where Saul who later would become Paul, and I'll show you from the Bible the event that turned that, or that, that that took place. This is where he started teaching. He started teaching people. He was murdering and hunting and killing Christians, that's the worthless part, to now going to teaching Christians the doctrine of Jesus Christ from the law, from the word of God, that's the worthy part. What took him from worthless to worthy? None other than Jesus Christ. Ladies and gentlemen, Jesus Christ is what can take the man or the woman from worthless to worthy. Nothing else can. Religion can't do it. Tradition can't do it. Service can't do it. But Jesus Christ can. It takes a relationship with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. If I go to Acts chapter 12, down to verse 25, Acts 12, 25, the Bible says, And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had followed their, uh, excuse me, when they had uh, fulfilled their ministry and took with them John, whose surname was Mark. So now you have Barnabas and Saul returning to actual Jerusalem, and they've got a couple other people following them. Again, just stay in Acts. Let's go to um, chapter 13. Let's read the first five verses of Acts 13. Now there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers as Barnabas and Simeon that was called Niger and Lucius of Cyrene and Maenaean, which had been brought up with uh, Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. So now Saul is being included in the list of those who are at the church at Antioch being qualified to be teachers, where he once was a persecutor of the church. He is now a teacher in the church. What took him there? 
Jesus Christ took him there. Verse 2, And they ministered to the Lord and fasted. The Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. So they, being sent forth by the Holy Ghost, departed unto Seleucia, and from thence they sailed to Cyprus. And when they were at Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had also John to their minister. They preached. So now he's a preacher. He went from a murderer. He went from the chiefest of sinners. He went from one who caused havoc, breathing out threatenings and slaughterings and imprisonments to the church, to a teacher trembling and astonished before Jesus Christ himself to a servant, to a teacher, and now a preacher. What got him there? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ got him there. If we keep reading in Acts chapter 13, verse 6, and when they had gone through the isles unto Paphos, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew whose name was Bar-Jesus, which was with the deputy of the country, Sergius Paulus, a a prudent man who called for Barnabas and Saul and desired to hear the word of God. But Elimaeus, the sorcerer, for so is his name by interpretation, withstood them, seeking to turn away the deputy from the faith. Then Saul, who is also called Paul, that's the first time he's ever been called Paul in his life, filled with the Holy Ghost, set his eyes on him, and he said, O full of subtility and all mischief, Thou child of the devil, thou enemy of all righteousness, wilt thou not cease to prevent the right ways of the Lord? And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon thee, and thou shalt be blind, not seeing the sun for a season. And immediately there fell on him a mist and a darkness, and he went about seeking some to lead him by the hand. So now by Paul's hand, he's actually committing miracles by the power of God upon him. Then the deputy, when he saw what was done, believed in being astonished at the doctrine of the Lord. He believed, the Bible says. The deputy believed. Now when Paul and his company, and guess what you see right here? This is the first time that it's not Silas, or excuse me, it's not, up to this point, every time you see these two men together, it's Barnabas and Saul. And now it's Paul and Barnabas. There's been a switch. There's been a transition of authority. Paul's now the leader. Paul and his company. Isn't that interesting? So what did the chiefest of sinners look like? Well, the chiefest of sinners was a murderer. The chiefest of sinners was blind by a religious sect of people who persecuted the church of God. He was breathing out threatenings and slaughterings, and he made havoc of the church. He murdered Christians, imprisoned them, sought letters of jurisdictional power to no matter where he went, give him authority to arrest people and hail them away to prison because of no other reason than the fact that they were Christians. When Paul says, I am the chiefest sinner, he he means it. He means every word. But in the same breath, he can also say, because of Jesus Christ, I'm not a whit behind the very chiefest of apostles. Well, what does that mean? Well, he, he went from sinner, he went from worthless, murdering, havoc-causing, uh, 
kind of a self-righteous killer to a servant, to a teacher, to a preacher, to a miracle worker, to a leader, and we find out later, to an author of over half of the New Testament that you and I hold in our hands today. He went from worthless to worthy. What got him there? Trembling and astonished, he said to Jesus Christ, Lord, what wilt thou have me do? Folks, that is, that is the entirety of my hope as a preacher and a pastor is to reach people in such a way that they can turn to Christ and say, Lord, what wilt thou have me do? Praise the Lord, that's salvation. That's a new man. After these, excuse me, after this event, the Bible stops referring to these men as Barnabas and Saul, but switches to Paul and Barnabas. The life you are saved to is a life of training, ministering, teaching, preaching, when necessary, fighting, like in this instance when, when Paul set his eyes on him, but not just fighting, but rather fighting so effectively that you become known for it, thus making you, the Christian, worthy of the cause of Christ, not because you could do it, but because you allowed Christ to do it in you. Not because of you, but because of who is in you. It's because of Jesus Christ that we as Christians are worthy. Folks, even when we behave righteously, as is the biblical command for us to do, the, the credit for that is not ours. The Bible uh, makes it very clear. There's a saying that comes to mind all the time. The duty is ours. The results are his. Here's the key thought. Knowing who you are in Christ starts with remembering who you were without Christ. How is this possible? How is it possible to continuously go through life remembering that had it not been for Jesus Christ, there would be nothing worthy in you? Well, let's go over to 1 Timothy chapter 1, and I'll read 1 Timothy chapter 1, 12 through 15. The Bible says here, And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who hath enabled me, for that he counted me worthy, putting me into the ministry, who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. Howbeit, for this cause I obtain mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all longsuffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to everlasting life. You go to the Lord. As a Christian, I can love the Lord because he first loved me. As a Christian, I can express the love of God in my life to others because I've accepted the love of God in my own life. As a Christian, to be worthy, I always must remember that it's from worthlessness that Jesus Christ pulled me out of. How do I go from the worst parts of me? Folks, the man talking to you now can say some of these things. 
I went from the worst things that you can imagine. And there's no excuses. I grew up in a different environment, different home, kind of a, a split home. But there's no excuses. I was a liar. I was a thief. And there's things that I'll answer for. And, and as I've told people, and I, I tell people still today, the most precious thing, the most special thing about me is nothing except for one very true fact, and that's that God loved me. And if you want more information on that, you can go back and listen to the very first podcast of this channel, podcast number one, which is simply entitled, But God Loved Me. That is the most special part of my existence, the fact that God loved me. What pulled me, I'm just giving you a personal testimony now, what pulled me from worthless to worthy? The love of Jesus Christ. That's all it was. It was my willingness to do as the Bible says, acknowledge him as my Lord. Lord, what will you have me do? Simple. By faith and repentance, I put my trust in Jesus Christ and was willing to obey him no matter what that looked like, no matter where it took me. That's salvation, folks. That's salvation. That's the new person. So what does it look like for you to go from worthless to worthy? You say, well, that's harsh language. Listen, in order to have a true relationship with Jesus Christ, in order to be saved, the first thing that you must know and acknowledge is that you're not. It's hard to ask for help from something you don't, need, you don't think you need help from. This world defines things differently than the Bible does. Religion defines things differently than the Bible does. And just to be very, very frank and very honest with you, I don't care about religion as it has become to be something different. The Bible does talk about a true religion that's a different time, different topic for a different time. But in the grand scheme of secular religion, folks, I just got to tell you, I don't care about religion. I care very much about the Bible. I care very much about the truth of God's word, and I care very, very, very much about the God who sent his only begotten son to pull me from death and place me into life, to take me from worthless to worthy. When you choose to care about the things the Bible says God cares about, you might find that your definition of Christianity changes drastically, and in many instances, overnight. When you choose to make being a Christian about God's ability in you, not about you making God your sidekick and living your life the way you were going to do it anyway, and then just giving God credit for the good things and then blaming the devil for the bad. That's nonsense, folks. Being a Christian is about total and complete service to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's about being worthy because of the new man in you. The old man understands. If you were to have given me a thousand lifetimes, I'd have messed up every single one. Had it not been for the Lord, I honestly don't think I'd be alive. And if I would be, I wouldn't be much good to anybody. I was so self-centered and self-focused and driven by my own agenda, I would have been no good to anybody. I would have been no man worth having around, that's for sure. But because of the love of Jesus Christ... In my own life, he took me from worthless, and he made me a worthy child of the king, and he can do the same for you. The most special thing about you is that God loves you. 
He wants to have a relationship with you, and he wants to use you to love other people. This is the greatest commandment. You love thy neighbor as thyself. And that's the, in fact, in Ecclesiastes, you see the phrase, he said, let's hear the conclusion of the whole matter. What's the, what's the whole thing come down to? Love other people. How do I do it? I have to accept the love of God first. I have to be taken from worthless to worthy, and may all the glory and grace and, and credit of all of this go to the Lord. Folks, thank you so much for listening. I pray that this has been helpful. I pray that it's not been offensive at all. If you have any questions, like I said, you can get a hold of me at the website here at the church. That's wasatchfrontbaptistchurch.com, W-A-S-A-T-C-H, Front baptistchurch.com, or you can call me directly on the uh, phone. The phone on the website goes directly to my office here. I will take the call if I'm in the office. If I'm not, leave a message, and I will do my best to get back to you. I don't think I've missed anyone yet. Got, I've been able to get back to everybody. If you have any questions about the content of this, um, sometimes going back and listening to other aspects of this podcast can be helpful, kind of fill in some of the questions that may not have been directly answered by this one. Or you can, like I said, give me a call. I'd love to talk to you. If you're in the Salt Lake City area, I'd love to meet you. And if this has been helpful, um, I don't do this. In fact, I don't think I've ever done this. But if there's some way to leave a review saying, hey, um, that was good, I'd appreciate it. Um, it lets me know that this, that this ministry is actually um, having an effect having an effect. Hope you're having a wonderful new year. We're off and running. I got some travel scheduled for myself coming up, and so there might be some gaps in um, releasing a podcast every week, but I'll do my best to get it to you. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for everything you've done for us. Thank you for being the one who can take us from worthless to worthy. Thank you for loving us. Teach us how to love you. Teach us how to be worthy of your life. In Jesus' name, amen. Folks, thanks so much. I'll see you next time. God bless.